Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. Today, we want to continue in our study on the beauty of grace, and we want to look at Lesson 66, The Casting of Grace. The Casting of Grace. We're going to continue discussing the beauty that we know in God's amazing grace as we look at this topic today. When Jesus came on the scene and knew his mission and message, but also that he must engage followers called disciples in this great work, he called men to join him in this endeavor. And that process continues generation to generation to generation, even to today and beyond our generation. The disciples took up that mantle, so to speak, and followed Christ's great commission in the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples, which is exactly what Jesus said for those who followed after him when he left to do. He gave us this great commission to preach the word of God, make disciples, and teach them to live in obedience to him. That's what the gospel and the great commission is all about. The earliest ones of his disciples were fishermen, those who cast nets into the waters of the Sea of Galilee in order to bring in a catch of fish. This was how they made their living, their occupation, bringing in a catch of good fish. To do so in that day, they would cast nets into the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, to draw in the fish as they would swim into the net and get caught there. They would go to where the fish were and seek them out through the casting of a net into the waters. Several times we see this in operation, even in Jesus' ministry among them, from beginning to end of his ministry. For instance, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, also found in Mark 1, 16 through 20. Matthew records this in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says this, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the lake of the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, 
at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. At the very beginning, Jesus calls fishermen to become fishers of men. At the word of the Lord, at the rhema word, Jesus spoke with authority and life in it. Peter repented of his sins, and these men repented and believed in him, became his first disciples. Notice also in John chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here we see at the very end, the last recorded time that we see Jesus with his original disciples, or some of them, prior to his ascension. Paul writes about many appearances of the Lord within that 40-day time period, but the only one that we, re we have recorded that where Jesus was with some of his original disciples in this way, and including this fishing expedition, was here in John chapter 21. Notice the catch. It's interesting because there is a record of this catch. In all the other accounts, there's no 
record of what or how many they caught. In this account, the net was breaking because there were so many, and 153 was the count. Now, why would God include that? Why would God specify the number that was included in the count? We don't know for certain, but it is expected that possibly that would record the number of nations or people groups that were alive on the earth at that time. Primarily prior to this time, the focus of Jesus' ministry with his disciples was preaching to the Jews. But now he was going to ascend back to heaven, and 153 seems to at least be representative of every known people group at that time, perhaps every nation. Now that Jesus' resurrection had occurred and grace was instituted, it was now becoming available for all who would believe to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, also to the Gentiles. The point being, fish is considered in these passages and in this symbolism that Jesus had with his disciples from the very beginning when he called them. He said, yes, you know how to fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. The fish is in the field of the world, in the sea of the world, all the people around the world. That's who I want you to reach for me. I want all who will come. I did a message many years ago, and you can find it in the archives if you, if you like, and I called it Fishing in the Wrong Pond. And I took it from this passage in John chapter 21. In essence, Peter was saying, hey, I, you know, we hadn't seen the Lord in a long time. I'm just going to go back to fishing. And so he goes out and he works and toils all night long and catches nothing. Then Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And then there was the catch of the 153. Peter was kind of fishing in the wrong pond at that point. Jesus was making him understand, you used to be involved in this for just plain old fish, for real fish to eat and to sell. But Peter, I've got a higher calling for you. I want you to go fish for men, fish for those who will believe in me. Fish for those who want to receive this grace, this beauty of grace, this counteroffer, this gospel, good news message that I want you to bring to them. I want you to be fishing in my field. I want you to be fishing in my sea, the sea of the world, and reaching people. He had already spoken to them a parable about this in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 47, it says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked, speaking of people now, the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. 
He's teaching them through this parable of the dragnet that they are to cast into the sea of the world. That's his field. That's where we're to be sent, is people. This is a kingdom parable. In other words, it's telling the meaning through this parable form. The sea is the world. The net is meant to be cast and catch people, people who will believe the gospel. And in the end, all will be sorted by the Lord in that day. This is the last of the kingdom parables. Jesus used these to speak to them about ministry in the earth, ministry after he, he leaves, ministry that they are to do. Every scribe, meaning every servant of the Lord, would bring about some new and old treasures from the prophets and the law and the understanding and fulfillment of it to reach the world with the good news of the gospel and with the New Testament to reach the world with the good news of the gospel. Even in the parable of the sower, which he spoke earlier, the sower sowed everywhere. The sower cast the seed out, cast it out everywhere. Some places didn't receive the seed. Some fell and the Lord gives us four different types of places where the sower and the seed fell. But the sower's job was not to worry about where it fell. The sower didn't know where he was sowing the seed. His job was to sow the seed. His job was to do the casting, to cast the seed of the word of God, the truth about Jesus everywhere. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, it explains the field as being the world where the seeds are sown. The Lord sowed the wheat seeds, but the enemy came in, sowed the tares. But in the end, God will separate them. See, all of these kingdom parables have that same thread. And so our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to cast. In this call to men, he specifically called them to be fishers of men, these disciples, those who will cast their nets, so to speak, into the sea of people in the world to gather in all who will believe and receive Jesus. So let's look at this in this casting of grace as we draw to a close. Even this in Jesus' ministry was a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 16, and I want us to read in Jeremiah 16, verses 9 through 21. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they've walked after other gods and have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. 
Now, this is speaking of, Jeremiah is prophetically speaking about the judgment God will bring on them in the Babylonian captivity in that day. Now, this was the direct fulfillment of it in that day, but notice, God's going to restore them. And this has both a near and a far fulfillment, as does much of Scripture. Notice this, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. This passage is a prophetic word about God promising to send for many fishermen to fish them. In other words, to become fishers of men. Exactly what Jesus has called all of his disciples to do. And afterward, after that hind part, after doing so, he's going to send the hunters who will recover them from the various places around the earth. This is both a near and a far fulfillment but it is also prophetically speaking about Jesus' ministry and the calling of disciples. And he says here, even in this prophetic word, that the Gentiles will also come to know the Lord. And that's another hint of the church in the Old Testament, that these fishers of men will fish for both Jews and Gentiles to be brought back and to be brought to the Lord. Notice also where Jesus went. He went to some of the places that no one else would have ever gone to. In John 4, verse 1 through 6, for instance, he says, I needed to go through Samaria. Samaria was where Jews hated the Samaritans. They wouldn't travel through there. They hated each other, both of them, in those days. The Samaritans were off limits. They were avoided. They were not desirable. But Jesus went there. Because there was a woman there that needed to be saved, and revival broke out. More of the Samaritans got saved. Jesus went after the outcast. In John chapter 4, verse 24 through 42, I just want to read a small portion of this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then he goes on. The disciples come and they marvel at him. They think that somebody's brought him something to eat. And he says this in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And then he begins to explain to them in verse 34. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Notice on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. In other words, he had done what he was sent to do. He had finished his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Remember, the field is the world. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. In some areas, there can be uh, soybean or cotton or some of these other crops that are, that are sown in the ground. And when they are ready for harvest, you see white all over the field. Jesus is saying the fields are ready, already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And then he goes on and he tells us about how many others, many others in those cities, many of the Samaritans got saved. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 8, we see one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, that goes there years later, reaching Samaritans with the gospel, and many more get saved in his day, reaching the Samaritans, those that had been hated, those that had been outcast. Jesus wanted them to hear. Another example of where no one else would go is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 34. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes in other, trend, in other passages, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, meaning Jesus, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. So he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. But notice in Mark chapter 5, Mark tells about this story as well. But I just want to read verse 15 in Mark chapter 5, verse 15 through 20, because I want you to see something in here. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, the legion of demons, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he, meaning the demon-possessed man that had been healed, departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis 
all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. So this demon-possessed man, he had been very evil to receive this kind of demonic possession. He was sitting, dwelling among the tombs. He had been an evil and idolatrous man. But God delivered him. God saved him. God rescued him. He became a disciple of Jesus. And in that region, he spread the gospel of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 53 through 58, we see some of the results of that demoniac's evangelism in that region. Once Jesus had set him free, and that old man was dead, and he was a brand new creation in Jesus Christ, because he had received the counteroffer, the counteroffer of grace. There's an application here to every one of us in regard to the casting of grace. In Matthew chapter 9, I want to read verse 35 through 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He wants us to be involved in the casting of grace. Just like he said in the parable of the dragnet, the fields are white with harvest. Now here again, he says the harvest truly is plentiful. There's lots of harvest out there, but the laborers are few. Let's pray the Lord of the harvest to send us out as laborers into this field. Let us be his modern day disciples, fishers of men and women, casting the net, sowing the seed everywhere, bringing in all that we can with the message of the truth of the good news. This is the beauty of the casting of grace that we now can fish for people and bring them the good news of Jesus, the great exchange, the counteroffer of grace, by casting the net, by casting the seed to them, fishing for the people and showing them Jesus and bringing in all who will believe, bring them to Jesus. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages and episodes of the beauty of grace, and other messages brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.